0: that's where we're going to be today. We're actually, um, so let me just introduce myself to start off. I'm Nathaniel. I'm one of the leaders here at Gateway Church. It's an absolute pleasure to see many, many familiar faces and a few new ones. So please do come find me, say hello at the end. I'd love to meet you if we've not met before. Um, We're continuing uh, in our sermon series called Jesus, Man of Action this week. And we've been looking at the Uh, stories told about Jesus from the Gospel of Mark and how they still impact us here in Poole and Bournemouth 2,000 plus years later. And this morning's sermon is a Sunday school classic. It's the feeding of the 5,000, a story that many of you will have heard before. But I hope to be able to share with you what it teaches us about the character of Jesus this morning, the one that we've been worshipping, the one that that Matt uh, and uh, the band have brought so clearly to us already. And Mark, by the way, is a great book to read from as well, because Mark's a real storyteller. He chronicles all the action from Jesus' ministry for us. There's highlights, it's distilled into marketplace language, it's the everyday lingo. Mark just jots it down. I imagine him as some sort of newspaper editor, getting all of the big points of the story across, and that's what we're reading when we read the Gospel of Mark. It's an exciting book to read as we go from story to story, action to action about what Jesus has done. So the telling of this miracle this morning is also action-packed for us. I actually want to start by praying for us that we'd hear God this morning in this story, that it would be brought to life for us again, especially if you've heard it time and time again, that you'd be astounded again by who Jesus is and what he's done for us this morning. Let me pray for us. Lord, we do thank you that we're able to open your word and learn about you. We're able to read these stories, read these truths about who you are. And as we do so, Lord, I pray that you would um, just make yourself known to us afresh, whether we are hearing this story for the first time or for the thousandth. Lord, we, we want to be um, led by you, and we want you to, uh, to make yourself known to us again, and new this morning, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. So, like I said, we're in Mark six, starting at verse thirty. Let me read the story for you, and then we'll um, we'll get started with some application. Jesus feeds the five thousand. It says, as our title, the apostles gather round Jesus and reported to him all that they'd done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, "Come with me, by yourselves to a quiet place. Let's get some rest." So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, they said. And it's already very late in the day. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, That would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Well, how many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then Jesus told them to make all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to the heavens, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Great, so let me start this morning by painting a picture for you. We are on the edges of the Sea of Galilee. We're told in the scripture that there's green grass on the banks of the sea after late winter or early spring rains. It's late in the day, the sun's setting. This is a beautiful, idyllic location. This was about as close as I could get on Google pictures, okay? But just imagine you're on the edge of the sea, the sun's setting, you're sat on the beautiful grass. Perfect, right? Sounds blissful. Mark's painting that picture for us in this story. And I want you to keep this picture in your mind because it's gonna be important to the story this morning. So when we think about the, the, the uh, story unfolding, it's in this sort of a location, all right? Keep that in your head. With this story, I actually wanna start asking what this story tells, tells us about who Jesus is. Jesus, our man of action, the one that our sermon series is all about, the one that we've been singing about this morning. He's at the heart of the action here. And week after week, we stand here and we talk about Jesus and we sing about Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, I wanna take a minute to just open up who this Jesus is. And if you do know Jesus, then it's always a pleasure to be reminded of who he is, isn't it? So let's, um, let's find out. So who is Jesus? Well, firstly, he's a man. At the start of our story, we get, we're told that he's tired. He experiences tiredness, like a man would experience tiredness. So the, uh, the beginning of his story suggests to his disciples, to his followers, that they take their leave to somewhere quiet, somewhere to go and rest. Immediately though, their peace and their quiet is disturbed. Now, I'm sure we've all had times where we've experienced this. It uh, happens to me most often on a Friday night, you know, you've had a whole week of work, you've been working, the alarm's gone off at 6 o'clock every morning, you've been straight into work, you've sorted the kids out, you've made sure that they're ready. Evenings, you do the bath time, you do the bedtime, you do everything else that you need to do, cleaning the house, everything else, and it gets to Friday night and you get the kids in bed and you think, oh, thank goodness for that, I'm tired. It's time to sit down with a cup of tea. I need to go and find, go and find that chocolate. <laughs> I need to go and find that chocolate that I've been hiding from the kids all week and have myself... And then the second you sit down, you hear... Dad? Maybe if I pretend I'm not here, though. My first response, I will admit to you now, isn't always one of compassion. But we're told in our story that Jesus had compassion on the people. So he's tired. He goes away to withdraw. The first thing he sees when they cross the river on the boat is the crowd of people waiting for him. And does he have that, oh, I can't believe they followed me here, reaction? No, he, he has compassion. That's what we're told in the story. It's a reaction of love. It's a reaction of concern. It's a reaction of care. That's who Jesus is. There's no frustration with his followers, just love. And he steps into action. So that's our next point. Who's Jesus? Well, he's a man of compassion. He's a man of compassion. He's not frustrated when we come to him. He loves it. He has compassion on us. And what's his first thought in this moment? Well, we're told in Mark 6... He sees them and he sees that they're like sheep without a shepherd. He sees that they're like sheep without a shepherd. So he begins to teach them. What does he do? He begins to shepherd them. He sees their need and he steps in to fulfill it. And the Bible's full of language and picture about shepherds. And as we read, we're supposed to see the link between the Old Testament and the New Testament as Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the shepherd imagery that's used in the Old Testament. Think again about that scene that I got you to picture from today's story there. Green grass, the idyllic pasture-like setting. Now think about Psalm 23. The Lord's my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. That's right. We can read and we can see the parallels here. That green grass, that idyllic location. Jesus taking on the role of shepherd for his flock. He's teaching them. He's caring for them. He's loving them. There are other old passage testaments that speak of our need for a shepherd as well. In Ezekiel, Ezekiel 34, Israel, the people of God, are referred to as the flock by God. And in verse 23 of Ezekiel 34, God says, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them, he will tend them and be their shepherd. We're told that they'll be blessed, we're told that they'll be fed, that the crops will be fruitful, that they'll be safe, and that God will provide for them in Ezekiel 34. And in verse 31 of that same passage, God says, you are my sheep, the sheep of my pasture are people and I am your God. And as we read Mark's account and hear of Jesus fulfilling the needs of the flock by being their shepherd, we're supposed to see that parallel. The true shepherd, the better David, comes to gather the shepherdless and feed them to satisfaction. That's what's going on here. Instead of pastures for the sheep to feed, we've got grassy green banks upon which they sit to be fed. And they're fed spiritually as they're being taught by Jesus. One commentator puts it this way. He, that's Jesus, is the one appointed by God to be the leader of the people in their exodus into the wilderness. He's God's servant David who provides rest for the people in the wilderness. If the crowd has been described as sheep without a shepherd, Jesus is presented as the shepherd who provides for all of their needs so that they lack nothing. Jesus as shepherd doesn't just fulfill their needs spiritually. He doesn't just feed them spiritually through teaching, but as they get hungry, we're told that they're also fed physically as well. And that's where we get our next cues from for who Jesus is. And again, you're gonna have to imagine the scene here. So there are 5,000 men we're told in this story sat on the banks of the sea. We should assume that there's even more perhaps including women and children as well. This is a massive crowd gathered on the edge of the sea. And it's made even more impressive by the fact that the nearest town, a place called Bethsaida, only had a population of two to 3,000 people. So the towns were literally emptying as people came and flocked to hear what Jesus had to say. Wouldn't we like to have that sort of a problem on a Sunday morning, hey? People flocking in on a Sunday morning to come and hear all about Jesus. That's what was going on. The towns were emptying as people came to hear what this Jesus had to say. I want you to think of the scale of it for a moment, and to do that, I've got a famous lockdown picture for you. Here's a picture of Bournemouth Beach. Do you remember the outcry, the uproar, as last summer people flocked down to Bournemouth Beach to come and get a little bit of R&R, sea and sun and sand and ice creams. They wanted to have their vacation, didn't they? And so they came down to Bournemouth, and this is a picture of the packed Bournemouth Beach on a lovely sunny day. Now, imagine it's your job to get the ice creams for all those people. Somebody's turned to you and said, right, we've got a problem here. These people need their 99 flake, and it's up to you to deliver it. How would you feel? I mean, look at that picture. Look at the amount of people. Where do you start? Who gets the first ice cream? How would you feel? Does the shop even stock that many ice creams? It's just a little booth. Do they even have that many? How much would it cost? I don't think I'd make that much money. The people are hungry. They've traveled a long way, and they want their twister. What are you going to do about it? Perhaps it gives you some sort of sense for how the disciples are feeling in this moment. We're told that they come to Jesus and say, there's a problem here. The people are hungry. How are we going to look after all these people? Think about how much it will cost, half a year's wages. And there are options here, but which one does Jesus pick? Does he take the advice of the disciples in the story and send them away to their town so they can go and buy their own food? No, he feeds them through this totally miraculous act of multiplying bread and fish and feeding them until the Bible says they ate and were satisfied. It's here that we see Jesus as the miracle maker, Jesus as God's son, and that's important for us because we've explored Jesus is fully man who gets tired and eats and sleeps, but Jesus is also fully God, the miracle maker, the one who's in total control. In this moment, he doesn't just satisfy their spiritual need, but their physical need too. They ate and were satisfied through this totally miraculous act. And that tells us even more about Jesus as well. He's in total control of the situation. At no point did he worry, even when the disciples came and said, what are we going to do? Look how many people there are. All things are under his control. Some of you need to hear that this morning. All things are under his control. There's not a single thing that's going on that isn't under his control. And all the disciples needed to do was to listen and to trust He also in this moment shows himself to be our provider. He provides all that's needed in that moment to the point of satisfaction, spiritually and physically. We're to see Jesus as our provider as well. So that question that I posed right at the beginning, who is Jesus? Well, based on our story, who is he? Let me introduce you to this Jesus. Jesus is one who loves you. Jesus is one who has compassion on you. One who never turns you away, who is always there for you, who is always in control. The one who's your provider, the one who's fully man and fully God. The one who's our miracle maker, the true shepherd who looks after his sheep. This is the one that we believe came to save us, who had compassion on us even to the point of death, who was obedient to God's plan and rose miraculously to defeat sin and death forever When we stand here and ask people to believe in Jesus, this is Jesus. This is who we're talking about. And this story is typical of Jesus. You can read the stories either side of our action-packed Gospel of Mark, and you can see that this is the one that we're called to believe in. This is the one that we're called to have a relationship with, the one who loves you, the one who provides for you, who's there for you, who never tires in his compassion for you, never. He's good, and he's God, and he loves you and we need to hear that again this morning. So what do we do in response to this Jesus? Well, the first thing we need to do is we need to believe it. Believe he is who he says he is. When the crowds flocked to come and gather to hear the stories that he was telling, he was telling them about who he is. Believe in me. And you might even want to do that for the first time this morning, and we're going to share some more information about how you can do that a little later on. But for all of us, we need to keep on believing and resting in the truth of it. And that word rest is actually also an important word in our passage this morning. This morning's passage is full of language about rest. Right at the beginning, Jesus and his disciples withdraw to a quiet place, to a solitary place, to rest. And there's an important lesson for us here about the way that we rest in Jesus. In the New Testament, the passage of scripture that we're reading this morning, the second part of the Bible, rest isn't a passive state. It's not blobbing out on the sofa and switching off your mind, but it's consciously enjoying the presence of Jesus. That's what rest means in this context. And that's exactly what the crowd ended up doing. You see that? As they're sat on that beautiful, idyllic green grass, and they're listening to his words, and being fed spiritually, and then they're being fed physically, and they're full, and they eat, and they're satisfied. They are resting consciously in the presence of Jesus. That's what's going on. Matthew 11 verse 28 says that Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Christians, we're to see rest here as coming to Jesus and enjoying him. That's what rest means here. In the same way that Jesus would often withdraw to find time to be with his Father, we need to find our own time, our own wilderness-like place to rest Our scripture this morning called it a quiet place or a solitary place. It's important, it has to be important because it's been mentioned twice in our passage today. There has to be something about the way that we purposefully rest that takes us away from distraction, away from the day to day and towards Jesus. It's a a recurring theme in scripture and it should be a recurring theme in our lives. Now we've actually preached on rest a fair bit here uh, over the last few years at Gateway Church um, and perhaps it's more a comment on the state of our culture at the moment and where it is. Here's a story that I found from last week. Goldman Sachs junior employees started to complain that they were being overworked when they were being asked to work 95 hours a week. How did Goldman Sachs respond? Have a pay rise. Didn't tell them to rest more. Keep the work, we'll just give you a little bit more money to do it. They didn't tell them to rest but they gave them the pay rise and said, crack on, that's what you should be doing. And here's the thing, culture tells you to work. Culture tells you to make money and culture tells you to be productive. Jesus tells you to rest. It's countercultural. to take that time out to be with Jesus. And it's so, so important that we don't let the busyness of life overcome our relationship with God. Withdrawing to rest with God is an act of faith as we tell God that he's the most important thing in our lives and that everything else can wait It's a chance to center our lives around the only thing that matters, the thing that's worth dropping everything to chase halfway around the Sea of Galilee for a glimpse of as the town's emptied and people flocked to Jesus. That's what they were doing. It's the treasure that's worth giving all else up for. And that's truly what we believe. And that's why why rest with God is so important because it's an act of worship that takes attention from everything else and places it rightly where it belongs. There's a chap called John Mark Como, who's written a book on the subjects of rest, and he puts it slightly more eloquently. He says, what you give your attention to is the person you become. Put another way, the mind is the portal to the soul, and what you fill your mind with will shape the trajectory of your character. In the end, your life is no more than the sum of what you gave your attention to. That bodes well for the apprentices of Jesus who give the bulk of their attention to him and all that's good and beautiful and true but not so for those who give their attention to the 24-7 news cycle of outrage and anxiety and emotion. As we are heading into this summer period now, my uh, plea to you all is to find time to rest with Jesus, to do it consciously, to find time to withdraw, to be with him. We could spend the rest of our morning just talking about rest and the importance of it and understanding the role of Sabbath and what it tells us about our relationship with God but I'd encourage you to look on the Gateway website for times where we've preached on this before, and we have done several times over the last few years, and there's um, some books that we can point you to as well if you do want to find out more about rest and what we believe about rest. This morning, though, I want you to see that in the proper active rest with God, of the purposeful act of giving our time to God that gives us strength for what God's called us to, to give our attention to what really matters, like those following Jesus, to hear more from him and to be taught by him, to be shepherded by him, Let's fill our heads and our hearts with what matters, and that's Jesus. Well done for being here this morning, live in a beautiful part of the world with so much else that could distract us, beaches and walks and places to go. But it's so important that we come here, not to see each other or to make sure the seats are filled, but so that we can be with Jesus. It's what matters. In response to who Jesus is, the true shepherd, the sheep are satisfied in the safety of his presence. And there's a bigger picture here too, because as we rest, it's a foretaste of what's to come. Revelation 7 verse 16 tells us that there's a place where we will never hunger and never again be thirsty. And as the people sat on the banks of the river and ate and rested and were satisfied, we see this picture of eternity. As Christians, this is the wonder of the gospel. Jesus came to save us through his death on the cross and his resurrection, and in so doing, he made a way for us to be with him forever forever, in a place where we'll never hunger or thirst again, a place of total satisfaction with no pain and no suffering. It's the wonder of the gospel that we'll be eternally satisfied in Christ. It should give us hope when we rest and spend time with Jesus now, as we're acting and living in anticipation of a day where we get to do it forever. And again, if you don't believe in Jesus here this morning, then this promise is true for you as well. You're being called to believe in this Jesus the one who is who he says he is. And believing in him, you also get that eternal promise to be with him forever. I believe this passage doesn't just give us a picture of how to actively rest with Jesus, but also how to be active in our faith as well. Now, as Christians, we know we've been caught up in the great commission to tell others about Jesus as well, to be active in loving others and serving others and bringing the hope of Jesus to hopeless situations. In other words, as Christians, We're also called to active faith, not just active rest, but active faith. Back to our story again, I want to just reread a little bit of it to find the disciples wondering what to do. We'll come in at verse 35, and I'll just read the rest of the passage again very quickly for us. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. It's, all very, it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages, all those 99 flakes. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked, go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus told them, to make all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and two fish, and looking up to the heaven, he gave thanks and broke his loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. I'll stop there. What I'm hoping you see as we reread that story is that Jesus fully involves his disciples in the action here. In this action miracle, the disciples are involved. In fact, according to one commentator, this miraculous act was supposed to be for them to see. The commentator says this, the event is intended to be revelatory to the disciples alone. They're the ones who prompt the action, who bring the loaves and fish, who distribute the meal, who gather the fragments, in contrast to their usually passive stance, Jesus actively involves them in the total proceeding. They were actively involved. They were supposed to see Jesus as we see Jesus, as we read this story today. It's meant to be a revelatory process for the disciples. So what can it teach us sat here this morning, Ashley Road, Pool. Well, I believe the application for here, here for us is to see the active role that we play in the advance of the gospel as well. This act was supposed to be a faith builder for the disciples, a chance to teach the disciples and show them who he truly was and what it means to be a disciple of his. An active faith for us is so much more than a sense of duty. Faith in Jesus isn't a trade-off. We don't get eternal life, but we've got to work for it. But as Jesus was motivated by love, so are we. And truly understanding the implications of what God has done for us, of what we've been saved from and the life that's now ours through Jesus, There should be an excitement about all that God has for us moving forward as well. And the active role that we get to play in God's great story. We've got a part to play and it's our role to be active in it. I think the lie that we can sometimes believe is that God is like a giant genie in the sky, like the genie from Aladdin, you know? You pray a prayer and your wish is granted. What we miss sometimes is what God's doing right in front of us the ways in which God speaks to us every day, the ways in which he's blessed us and how we can use it for his kingdom purposes. We've got brains to use, resources at our disposal, a Bible full of instructions for us, and sometimes we still look up and say, what do you want me to do, God? I don't know. I believe the lesson here then, as the disciples are fully involved, is for them to trust in what they're being asked to do, to put their faith in Jesus as trustworthy and trust that he will do it and that they've got their part to play. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 58 says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Ultimately, as I was reading this story again, and like I said at the beginning, I've read it many times before, I was astounded by our compassionate miracle maker, Jesus but I was also astounded by the way that he involved others as well. I mean, after all, he's Jesus. The people are hungry. He could have just snapped his fingers and done it. He's Jesus. He was, he was perfectly capable of doing that. They're hungry, let's feed them, let's go. You know, that was, with, that was within his gift to do. So why did he do it in the way that he did it? He, just, he, he chose to act through the hands of the disciples and chose to act through them. And it really got me thinking about the active role that God Gets us to play in the advance of his gospel as well, in showing his compassion to the world around us. We're being called to give ourselves fully to the work that God's called us to because we know it won't be in vain, because we've got an eternal hope about the work that we're doing. In other words, in this story, we're not the ones eating the bread, we're the distributors. So my question then becomes what active part can you play for God? What active part can you play at Gateway, not being Handed the bread, but being the one that hands the bread out. The people outside these walls, outside this building, walking past the door as we're sat here listening, they need the bread of the gospel. And it's for us to be faithful with what God's given to us, to roll up our sleeves and to play an active role. And that's why we ask you here to serve and to give, not to keep you busy or fill the Gateway Bank account, but because we know we're not working for the good of Gateway, we're working for the good of God. And we want you to give your best to him to give and serve and play your part in distributing the bread of the gospel. So, with all that we've said this morning, uh, how do we respond? Firstly, I'd love this morning to be another reminder of the role that we have to play in the kingdom of God. That this morning would be a chance for some of us to get back in the game, to give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, whatever that might mean for you, because we know it's not in vain. What do you have that you need to be more faithful with like those loaves and fish that might be multiplied in our hands as they're used by God for his glory our theme for the year at Gateway Church this year is adventures in generosity so what do you have that you could be generous with bless others in our community with how's God asking you to get involved again I'd ask you please be prayerful about that this week look for opportunities to be generous look for opportunities to share the gospel with those who don't know Jesus that's what we're called to we're called to be active in it to play our part and for each one of us this morning, I want to ask you to come to Jesus again, as we had a look through the story of who he is. Our true shepherd, our miracle maker, the one who always has compassion, who's always there for us, always loving us, our provider, the one who's always in control. As we come back to worship, I fully believe that there are some here this morning who just need to rest in the truth of that, to rest in the truth of who Jesus is, and to be astounded by it. Think again about that reaction The people heard Jesus were coming and the towns emptied because they were desperate to come to Jesus to hear what he had to say. As we come back into worship, let's have some of that desperation for Jesus. We need him, he loves us. He's never tired of us coming to him, so let's come to him again. And if you don't know Jesus, that promise is true for you. The wonderful message of the gospel is that anyone who believes Jesus is who he says he is, like that crowd following him, anxious to find out the real truth. I implore you to keep exploring this this faith, this truth about what Jesus believes, and the beauty of the gospel that can mean life and rest with God now and forever. If you want to respond to Jesus for the first time this morning, you just need to believe that he is who he says he is, that he loves you, and that he died to take away all that you've done wrong and to bring you into relationship with God. You shouldn't mishear me, and there are some in this room who will attest, Christianity isn't the easiest life. We're not promised that, but what we are promised is a fulfilling and adventurous one with a heavenly reward of eternal rest with our Father in heaven, fully, permanently satisfied in him. Remember in the story they ate and were satisfied? Well, when we come to Jesus, we can be satisfied, and there'll be a place where we'll be satisfied forever. What a great hope we have. So let's come to Jesus, let's give him the glory, who he is and what he's done for us. Let's rest in him now as we come back to worship. I'll invite the band back up and as we focus on who he is. Why don't we stand, I'll pray for us and then we'll come back and worship. Lord, I wanna thank you for the scripture that we've heard today that tells us about who you are, your character. Thank you for sending your son Jesus Thank you that it's through Jesus that we see your compassion for us, your love for us, that you saved and rescued us, and that you prepared a place for us for eternity, where we'll never hunger or never thirst, and we'll be eternally satisfied in you. Lord, I pray that that would give us hope. And as we go from here, Lord, I pray that we would be active in the part that we've got to play in your great plan for this world. That we go and we tell people about you, we'd share our faith We'd show your compassion to people. We'd be generous, not because we have to, but because we want to, because that's what you do to us. Oh, thank you, Lord. Help us to see you afresh again now as we worship. In your name, amen. We're just gonna continue in that sense of of worship and um, meeting with Jesus. Um, I particularly love the uh, the thing that stood out for me in that story is that Jesus responded with compassion. Um, And that's the same Jesus who's here today, who's wanting to meet with each and uh, every one of us. So I just encourage you to just open up our hearts with um, everything that's happened in the week. Um, Meeting Jesus who is compassionate, who is wanting to give us rest. Um, We're gonna respond by singing Waymaker.